Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now let's join lead pastor Scott Simarok as he teaches at Church on the Hill. Good morning. I was recently in a, uh, a life coaching session with a uh, pretty remarkable young lady. She was, uh, she was giving me her life plan. She's like, hey, this is my life plan. You know, I'm early 20s, and uh, uh, by, by the age of 30, I'm going to have this undergrad degree taken care of. I'm going to have this master's degree. Uh, I'm going to be married with this many kids and be this at place in my finances and be able to travel the world. I was like, well, that is, that is amazing. Um, I, I then asked her, I said, so where does God fit into that plan? And it, it was just a question that she, uh, 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 she knew, I mean, she knew like, well, well God's in the midst of that, but, but she has plans, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. So I, I'm, I'm curious, this is what I really want to know. Uh, I want to know if there's anyone in the room that, that like you have made a plan for life. And maybe your plan isn't as dramatic as hers. Maybe your plan was, I'm going to get a job and I'm going to move out my parents' house. I'm never moving back in. And maybe that wasn't even like your plan. Maybe your parents gave you that plan and said, here's your life plan. <laughs> um, so here, here's what I'd like to know. Uh, first question, I want you to raise your hand. If, if at any point in your life, you had a plan for your life, raise your hand. Go ahead. All right, and even you at home, if you're sitting on the couch watching right now, like, raise your hand, all right? Um, now, no, no judgment on this one, but I'm really curious, those of you that have never made a plan for your life, and there's no judgment, it could be like deeply theological and spiritual, like, no, 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 listen, just God does what he does, he's going to bring stuff my way, and like, you know, why would I make a plan? He's, he's got a life planned out for me. How, how many of you have never made a plan for your life before? Raise your hand. Yeah, there should be. Hands up and no shame in that. Okay, uh, question. How many of you, if you have made a life plan, like some kind of plan for your life at some point, how many of you, raise your hand if your plan, your life actually turned out like you planned it? Raise your hand. No, it's okay. That's just, no one? Not even in the balcony? Oh, uh, I'm just super curious. Is there anybody, um, your life actually turned out better than how you planned it? You felt like God led you into a life that was good. And, well, that's good. Well, fantastic. You might be Christian. Um, today, we're going to begin, begin a brand, uh, brand new series on the life of David. Uh, I have no idea how long this will go because we're making up the series as we go along. And we're going to take a look at David's life and you'll find it in 1 Samuel. So open up your notes and open up your Bible. We're going to take a walk through, um, through 1 Samuel and David's life. We'll start it today. In this story, I just want to make this clear. Everybody has a plan. Israel has a plan. King Saul has a plan. Samuel has a plan. Uh, Jesse, who is David's father, he has a plan. But there's only one problem. And it's not really a problem. It's just a reality check is that God has a plan. And God's plan is actually better. And here's why I, I want this message and this story to resonate with you today. I think by looking at David's story in this whole series, it's going to help us see this, that you can actually trust God's plan for your life. 
and that you might be able to boldly walk into it and even ask him, God, what is your plan? So let me give you context for what we're about to read here. Uh, the nation of Israel, they're living in this promised land that God led them to. There is a problem though. They have these enemies around them and they're called the Philistines, right? Now, God was Israel's king. God led them. God protected them. God instructed them. God was in charge because he had a plan. Now, the person that God would use to communicate to Israel was this prophet. His name is Samuel. God would speak to the prophet. The prophet would speak to the people. And then the people would know what God's plan was. The problem was this, though, that Israel, though, they had their own plan. Let me show this to you. Israel's plan was this. They wanted a king like all the other nations. Take a look at 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4. It says, they, Israel, said to Samuel, you're old and your sons do not follow your ways. Meaning like, hey, listen, we've been listening to you, Samuel, and you're the prophet, but you're getting old and your kids, we're not following them, they're scoundrels. And so now appoint us a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. Literally, it means this, appoint for us a king so that he will judge us. But we want that king to be like all the other nations have. And so, Samuel's disturbed by this because they don't want to be a unique nation that follows God. They just want to be like all the other nations. And so Samuel goes to God about this and in verse seven reads this, and the Lord told Samuel, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you they've rejected, but they've rejected me as their king. And then verse nine says, now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Uh, what's he warning them about? Really two things. All the other kings of all the other nations, they would tax their people. They would take the best people, the best harvest, the best land, the best of everything, and a tenth of it, the king would own. Why? Because he's the king. And the king of, of the other nations answers to no one. That's the second problem. The king of all the other nations don't answer to God. And they just wanted a king that they could look to and say, what should we do? They also wanted a king that when the Philistines came in town, that that king would go out to war for them. But make note of this, up to this point, up to this point, it was God who really was their king. So um, King Saul steps into the picture. God has Saul anointed king, uh, but only a few years into Saul being the king, it becomes really clear that Saul, Saul actually has a plan too. Here's his plan. His plan is this, God, I'm going to follow you and I'm going to try it your way. But if your way gets painful or uncomfortable, I have a plan B and I'm going to do it my way. Uh, you can read about his story. I'm not going to dig into Saul's life right now. You can read about his story in chapter 13. As a result, Samuel shows up to Saul and he gives them this really bad news. Flip over a couple pages for First uh, Samuel chapter 13. 13 verse 13. And I want you to be here specifically because there's a phrase I'm going to read to you in this that is really, really misunderstood. He's, this is uh, Samuel speaking to Saul. You've done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. Here's the phrase. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So, Israel's plan of, hey, we want a king like all the other nations, that one didn't work. 
Saul's plan of God, I'm going to follow you until it gets tough. And then I'm not going to follow you. That one didn't work. So here's God's plan. He's going to pick a new king. And there's a standard for this new king. Who's the next king? You all know it. It's David, right? It's David's story. We're going to dig into it, into this series. Why did God choose David as the next king? Verse 14 reads this way. The Lord sought for himself a man according to his heart. Now, you might have heard this preached. You might have heard this taught that David was a man after God's own heart. And at the center of that statement is who David is. Listen to how this is actually written in the Hebrew. Literally reads, the Lord sought for himself a man according to his heart. Who is the his? According to David's heart? It's actually not it. I want you to listen to this. Because devotionally, this is taught. Listen, David was courageous and obedient, and he had the character of God. He really sought God, right? Therefore, God picked him because Saul's heart was bad. David's heart was good. And what's the application? You know what? You should just have a good heart towards God. You should be loyal and courageous and obedient. And if you are, then God might pick you for some great stuff. But if your heart's bad, you're gonna be like, Saul, he's gonna boot you out of his plan. Isn't that the devotional thought? Can I just tell you, that's actually not the gospel. Here's the problem. Some of you actually know David's story. Some of you know David's story because you've read 1 Samuel. Some of you know David's story because you grew up on VeggieTales. I'll prove it to you. Hold on. Um, you know David's story. Uh, well, let's just do a little word association here. I'm going to start the phrase. You finish it out loud. Ready? Here we go. David and... Oh, Goliath. Good. Let's try it again and, and pick something else. David and... <laughs> I know some guy, Bathsheba. <laughs> like David and Goliath. And David and uh, Bathsheba. Um, for those of you that grew up on Veggie Tales, uh, King George and the... I heard it over here. The rubber ducky. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't want to mess with you too much, but yeah, that story's not about him stealing a rubber ducky. It's about his adulterous affair with Bathsheba that leads to a son being born and then David having her husband killed and then the baby being killed as well. I mean, it is such a dark moment in David's story. But I think these two stories capture the essence of who David is. He has such high highs. I mean, Goliath, this giant of a man, and David goes out with a slingshot, not armor, not a sword, but he just goes and defeats this, this giant. His highs are high, right? What a, what a great man. And his lows are crazy low. He had an affair. He had a man murdered. And the consequences of all that was he lost his son. Um, how then can we take a verse that says, David, God chose him according to his plan because David had a heart after God. Has this ever caused a problem for you? I'm like, oh, David's heart was so great. It's interesting because that verse isn't actually about David's heart. It's about God's heart. God sought a man according to God's heart. Heart. I will, I will get to this. 
Um, David, I want this to be clear about this. David is both a scoundrel and a servant. David is a horrible scoundrel when it comes to Bathsheba. But he's an amazing servant when it came to Goliath. And I, I want to point these two things out because, man, like you and I, man, we can be, we can be great servants. And, and we can be scoundrels. We can have amazing obedience and courage when we follow God, and we can have moments of just unbelievable denial and sin. So here's the problem. The problem is this, and I put it in a little box in your notes. The problem is, how can David be a man after God's own heart if he's such a scoundrel at times? Um, why did God choose David? Literally, it means this. The Lord sought for himself a man according to his heart, not David's heart, but God's heart. Let me give you a couple um, references here. Sandra Richter uh, who has a PhD in Hebrews, the chair of the biblical studies at Westmont College, wrote multiple books in the Old Testament. I just give you all of that to say she's super smart and she is credible as knowing what the Hebrew means. Writes this. She points out that the text reflects an ancient saying that has to do with the choice of, of a king. That David is a man after God's own heart means David is God's choice. A man God's heart had gone after. David is a king of God's choosing. See, this verse isn't about David's heart. It's about God's heart. God's heart went after that man. The New Century Version reads this way. The Lord has looked for the kind of man that he wants. That's what it means. U.G. Merrill, an Old Testament theologian, supports this as well. Quote, the Hebrew phrase is best understood not as an approbation of David's heart, that is his godliness or other qualifications, but rather as a technical term referring to divine election. It is God's choosing of him. God didn't choose David because David was so great. Do you remember back, um, I, I read this in 1 Samuel chapter 8, where Saul was told, Saul, you did a foolish thing. That's going to be over. Your reign is not going to last. Uh, you know how old David was at that point? He wasn't born yet. He wasn't a man after God's heart, like he had this godly character because he wasn't even a man yet. He wasn't even a person yet. He wasn't born. So if God chose him because of how great he was, he didn't exist. God was going to go find someone because it was going to be God's choice. That God's heart, his grace, his mercy, his empowering would go after that person. So here's God's plan. You ready? Number two, God's plan is in 1 Samuel 16, 1. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. At this point, we don't know it's David. That's God's choice. It's definitely not based on David's, David's character, but simply because God chose him. We're not even given the reason for why God chose him. It's just because of God's heart. Samuel goes to Bethlehem, right? And he invites Jesse's whole family. I want you to come to this, um, this sacrificial meal that we are gonna have a feast together. So he invites all of Jesse's family. And Samuel has a plan. Number three, Samuel's plan is this. It's gotta be Jesse's eldest son. He should be the king. Look at verse six, 16, six, ready? When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. He's the oldest son. He looks like a king. I don't know what that means. I mean, he's probably big. Maybe he's handsome. But that's Samuel's plan. And God reminds Samuel 
that God's plan is the plan that matters. Look at the next verse, verse seven. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. For I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now think about this. Doesn't that sound like he's looked at Eliab's heart and is like, no, 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 that heart's too dark. I can't do anything with that. And maybe he sees the heart of David and maybe it is the heart of David that that actually changes him. Again, it, it can be confusing because it sounds like, oh, maybe he looks at David's heart. The literal reading of this is this, for the Lord sees not as man sees. For man sees according to the eyes, but the Lord sees according to the heart. What it's saying is that he's not seeing David's heart. He's looking at things through his own heart. He's going to take his will, his desire, and his purpose, and he's going to make it come out into this world. It's God's plan. It's God's purpose. Theologian John Woodhouse puts it this way. A man after God's own heart is talking about the place the man has in God's heart rather than the place that God has in man's heart. I'm going to read that again. Just listen to that. A man after God's own heart is talking about the place that the man has inside of God's loving, merciful, graceful heart rather than the place that God has in the man's heart. Here's why this is so important. If I asked you, do you know where you fit in God's plan? I mean, do you believe that he actually has a plan for you? And you might say yes, but in your worst moment, when you're not walking step in step with God and you think about your past or your current and the ways that you've messed up, you're going to go, listen, I've messed up too much. I'm so much like Saul. I, you know, yeah, I, I was like, God, I'll follow you. But yeah, I got a plan B. And man, I didn't really follow God's plan for me. Our life didn't turn out how I thought God wanted it to turn out. And you look at yourself and you go, I'm not worthy. Can I just say this? You got saved not because of what was in your heart. You got saved because of what was in the heart of God. I'm gonna get to that in just a minute. Hang on to that. I think I wanna make application here for just a moment. Um, God is not limited by what he sees. You and I are. How do you make judgments about people, about the future, about your situation? Don't you, don't you write a pros and cons list? Should I do this or should I do this? Well, the pros of this one are this and the pros of this one are this. The cons of this one are this. The cons are like, you look at it, right? And God's like, I'm actually not limited to that. My heart, I can actually take things and purpose them into this world. I can create them into this world. I, I can make this happen because I'm all powerful. I don't look at things according to just, oh, what's happening around me. Things come out of my heart and I can make them happen. You can look at a person and you can think, surely this is the one God wants me to marry. You can look at a job and think, surely this is the position for me. And right, the list goes on and on about how we make plans. Uh, Surely I should make this investment. I should make this purchase. I should join this group, choose this school, move into this neighborhood, have those kinds of friends. But you and I are limited in our perspective. And at the same time, we get to recognize that God's perspective is not limited, which is beautiful. Do we ask him, God, what is your heart for me? 
What is your future for me? What is your plan for me? And then wait and see what he does. Now, I'm a super big fan of this, that I believe that God cannot steer a parked car. Not moving, parked car. So sometimes we have to go do stuff and see where God steers us and moves us. It's not like we sit around and be like, God, I'm going to sit at home and eat some Cheetos. And if you want me to get that job, you're going to bring it to me. Sometimes you got to fill out a resume. (laughs) I think the point of this is this. What is God's heart for our spouse, for our family, our finances, our future, our church, our faith? Can we ask him? Because he sees so much more than we do. And do we wait on him to reveal his heart for us? Uh, We find out this though, that Jesse had a plan too. Here's Jesse's plan back in your notes. Uh, Anyone could be king, but David. David's the only one who should not be king. Jesse's his dad, right? This is what happens, verse eight. Then Jesse called uh, Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Then Jesse had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? Listen to his dad's response. They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. David wasn't even invited to the party. And he doesn't even call David by name. You must mean my youngest son, David. He's like, oh, the runt? He's out in the field. He's watching the sheep. I didn't even invite him to the party. It's as if Jesse had disqualified him because he's the youngest. And listen, maybe somebody in your life told you you were not qualified for something. And maybe in your own heart, you feel like you're not qualified to do anything for God or with God or, or, or God has created something great for you. You might be David because everyone else looked at David and said, he can't. There's, there's more qualified people. And yet God's plan was this. He chose David. Let's walk through God's plan for David real quick. Here it is, number one. God chose him. David was chosen by God. First verse of 16, Lord said to Samuel, I have chosen one of Jesse's sons to be king, and it's David. Question, can you imagine the, the effect that it had on the youngest son to be elevated amongst his family? His brothers are all there watching. There's probably a lot of jealousy going on, but he's chosen by God, not because of David's heart, not because of David's godly character, but just because God wanted him. It was God's heart. See, if it was because of David's heart, that could actually lead to arrogance and pride. Wow, I'm amazing. But if he's chosen because it was just God's heart, he was chosen despite who he was. And that leads to humility. So not only was he chosen, number two, David was anointed by Samuel. Here's how this goes. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers. Such a great thing about this. Like all these brothers are standing around and there's David and Samuel. Maybe he got down on his knees and he pours this oil over his head. And the smell of ginger and the smell of cinnamon and this oil starts going over his head, down his face, through his beard, And it's this fragrant, fragrant presence. And he will never forget that. 
He'll never forget the oil and the anointing because it wasn't just the oil over his head and what he smelt that, that lingered in his nose. It was actually being anointed in front of his family. They all now knew that he was the man, that God has his hand of pleasure and favor on David's life. And this would become really, really important because of this. From the moment that he was chosen king, he wouldn't take the throne for another 15 years. Did you know that? 15 years, David would become a servant of Saul and Saul had the spirit that came on him that would enrage him. He would throw spears at David and try and stick him to the wall. You're like, ah, that's my boss. He gets a little unruly at times. David takes off and he runs for the hill country and Saul tries to follow him and, and capture him and kill him. That's a rough 15 years. Can you imagine David in that moment just going, God, what did you bring me into? What? This is not the thing that you anointed me for. When things get rough, you have to remember that you were chosen and you were anointed. Because when it gets hard, you have to remember there were people standing around who saw that you were the anointed one. You were the one that was picked. The journey for... Um, that I've been watching. I'm in this community group that I, I really enjoy. And there's some people in there who um, have chosen an education route to work on their master's degree and other people who are in their careers right now. And the stories I keep hearing is, man, the road is getting rough. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if like, I don't know if this is a thing that, that, that I can keep following through on. But yet some point in your journey, you felt like God called you into an education. You felt like God called you into a career. And now you're standing in it. You're like, man, the road is rough. Now, my guess is at your job, no one's chucking spears at you, right? No one's chasing you to the hill country. But if you understand that like David, you were chosen and you were anointed, it's in that moments that you remember and you have to remember, God called me to this. He's not gonna call you to something that he will not see you through. And I hope that that gives you courage to walk through whatever you're walking through today. I'll come back to that in just a minute. David was also, he's not just chosen and anointed, he's empowered by the spirit of God. Look at verse 13. From that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. God equipped him to do what he was called to do. And I believe that God will equip us to do whatever he calls us to do. Number four, David was chosen because of God's heart. It's coming back to the same point again. Why was he chosen? Why was he anointed? Why was he empowered? Simply because of this, it was in God's heart. God chose him. It was not David's heart or David's character because David was both a scoundrel and a servant. But I want you to hear this, okay? You might even write this down or jot down something that will remind you of this. David acted like a horrible scoundrel when he walked away from the reality or he ignored the reality that he was chosen, anointed, and empowered by God. This is who I am. I'm, I'm chosen, anointed, empowered by God. But there's moments where he's like sitting up on a rooftop and like, oh, there's a pretty lady. And it leads to a series of horrible things in his life. What if he stood on the rooftop, saw that scene and said, no, 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 I'm chosen. I'm anointed. I'm empowered. That is not the road for God's chosen, anointed, empowered person. I have wonderful moments in my life um, where sometimes my reaction to things might not be the best. Maybe I overreact or maybe I get angry, something. Or... The one who tries my patience more than anything is probably my dog, Jake. 
He just doesn't do what he should do all the time. And that's not right. That's sinful on his part. And so maybe my attitude gets angry and I say things and yell and chase him around the house. And, ah. and my wife will very kindly say, Pastor Scott, you probably shouldn't do that. You know why God chose me to pastor? It's not because my heart follows hard after God. He chose me, and he anointed me, and he empowered me. And honestly, I've had some great moments where my identity of who I am, and I walk into that, that I do really well. When I walk outside of the, you know what, whatever, chosen, anointed, empowered, whatever, I'm going to kill the dog right now. <laughs> I'm not at my best, but it's interesting. When someone says, Pastor Scott, it reminds me who I am. I think we all need that. Because David, at his worst moments, forgets that he's chosen, anointed, and empowered. I'm going to tell you this. We're going to walk into this in just a minute. You are chosen, anointed, and empowered. Here's how I want to end this. God has a plan for us. He has a plan for you. And here it is. Number one, you are chosen by God for adoption into his family. I'm going to switch gears on you. I'm going to go through this really fast. I would encourage you highly to read Ephesians this week. Here it is. Ephesians 1.4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy, blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us. He chose beforehand, predestined us for adoption into sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. Why did he do that? It made him happy. It was in his heart. You didn't pick God. He picked you. That's what this says. In him, we were also chosen. Let me, let me say it this way. You didn't hear about Jesus because you got lucky. You definitely didn't accept Christ because you were good and it lived in your heart. You were chosen by God because of his good heart towards you. There's some of you who are getting a little uncomfortable with this. You're like, this sounds super Calvinistic. If you've never heard that word before, don't worry about it, okay? You can Google it. It's this concept that God chose you and your, your choices really don't matter. That's a really loose translation of what Calvinism is. Can I say this, that both of those things are true? Um, God chose you. But like a David, you have to accept and choose God's, God's choice of you, his empowering of you, and his anointing of you. And sometimes David didn't choose well, and sometimes I don't choose well. Sometimes you don't choose well. But Ephesians makes it clear, you are chosen by God. Second thing is, you are anointed by God, and you publicly declare your faith through baptism. Listen to this, Ephesians 1.13. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. I'm calling that an anointing. It's the anointing of God. The Holy Spirit of God lives inside you who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. David's anointing. I'm gonna compare it to these two events. Your anointing is this, when the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside you and it happens the moment of your conversion. Because Romans says, if you don't have the Spirit of God living in you, you, you are not belonging to God. 
So if we're adopted in his family, he gives us his spirit at that moment. I know there's some like practices of the faith, like, oh, you got to have this crazy spiritual experience where this manifestation of the spirit comes out and you speak in weird tongues. Like, no, I'm not saying anything that tongues is wrong. I'm just saying this, the spirit of God comes and lives in you the minute that you become adopted into God's family. But because David's anointing was this public thing, I think there's a second anointing that we have. And it's at baptism. In Acts chapter 2, he's like, well, what do we do? This whole crowd of people are like, we want to believe in Jesus. What do we do? It says those who received his word were baptized. And they're added that day about 3,000 souls. Our public baptism, it creates that anointing moment in front of everybody else. It's a permanent reminder of who we are. So that when we find ourselves looking and viewing something we shouldn't, like David, when we're at this party and we're tempted to be like everybody else, when we're tempted to have questionable work ethics like everyone else, when we are tempted to follow our own cravings, we can remember the moment that led us to Jesus and those people surrounded us and the, the people who actually led us to Christ or discipling us, they were the ones who dipped us underwater as a symbol of this is the death of your old life and you're raised to new life in Christ. And a crowd of people in the church applauded and clapped and said, welcome to the family. Those moments should mark us as powerful moments that when we come into these rough patches that we remember, no, 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 I'm God's chosen and I'm his anointed and I'm his empowered one that I'm gonna be different than the other people around me. Because you can be super tempted to be like, am I really a Christian? I'm not very good. Uh, you know, I don't always do the right thing. Did I, was I really serious when I made that decision? You can doubt your decision, but you will never forget the moment where they plunged you down and pulled you back up and said, welcome to new life in Christ. We just don't always act like that, right? It is a monumental public anointing over your life. Number three, we're empowered by God, not because of our good works, but we are actually empowered by God for the purpose of doing good works. If you have your Bible open, Ephesians 2.8 it reads this way. It's by grace you've been saved. That word grace, if you underlined it, here, here's what that means. It means you were in the heart of God. He picked you because he has a heart for you. It's not because your heart was so good towards God. For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. And it's not by works so that no one can boast. There's the pride thing. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Why did God choose you? The New Testament word is this, because of his grace. Because it was the goodness of his heart. It's interesting though, it's not based of our works, but the word works shows up a second time. Did you catch it? For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. For what purpose? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We were created for something great. It means this, he's got a plan for you. Check in with him. Ask him, God, show me your plan because it's not a minor work. It's not a silly work. It's an important work because God's favor is on your life. He's designed you to do something that will bless other people. And here's the truth. It's actually the good life. And you actually, that's the life that you would crave. So when I asked at the very beginning, how many of you, your life turned out in the hands of God way better than you ever planned it. That's the kind of life God wants to leave you into. We are chosen, number four, anointed and empowered simply because of this, simply because 
He loves you. Listen to Ephesians 2, 4. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, hear that. If you feel sinful and dirty and broken today, God who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace that you've been saved. You are in the heart of God. He loves you. I'm gonna wrap with this. As we continue in the coming weeks, we're gonna look at David's story. And you're gonna see David thrive when he leans into his identity as God's chosen and God's anointed and God's empowered one. And we are no different. You and I, we will thrive as Christians when we lean into our identity as those who've been chosen, anointed, and empowered by God to great things that he's planned for us. Whenever the word of God is taught, I believe this, he's inviting you to something. Question, what is God inviting you to today? Let me ask you this. Maybe you're just simply grateful for the grace that he's had on your life. If that's you, write that down. Just grateful for his grace on my life. Maybe today you're going to have a little more courage to take that next step of trusting him with your future. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your academics. Maybe you are really willing at this point to ask him, God, show me your heart. Show me plans that you have for me. This one's a little harder. Maybe you recognize that you've actually rejected him and turned your back on him and you've been running with your plan. And maybe today you just need to confess that and ask for his forgiveness and grace and mercy all over again. Maybe you've actually never taken the step of a public declaration of faith by being baptized and you need to. Because it feels like you got one foot in and one foot out. Maybe you are ready to actually become a Christian today because you finally realize it's not about being good enough it's not about what's in your heart it's about what's in God's heart and you realize now that he has grace for you and he has favor for you and maybe today is the day that you realize that his grace means that he gave his son's life on a cross for you to die for your sins and that by believing that you can receive forgiveness and a new life with him. And in the end, you get life with God in eternity. My hope is this, no matter where you're at and what you think God is inviting you today, I hope that you will hear his voice. What's he inviting you to do? May God give you clarity. And may God give you courage to take whatever step that he's inviting you to take today. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, I pray that whatever step we take today, we take it with urgency and joy. That when we walk away from opportunities like this to be decisive and say, God, I'm going to do this in response to your word. If we just walk out, we're going to forget it and we become desensitized to that. So God, I pray there's an urgency of what we decide today. But I pray there's a joy, even for those that know that they've walked away from you or they're living a life on their own and it is not a godly life. 
I pray that there'd be great joy because they feel your arms wrap around them and welcome them back. Knowing that you don't, you're not here to judge them with shame or make them feel horrible about their life, that you're here to wash away that guilt and make them clean. And Lord, help them walk new, fresh into, into a brand new life with you. I pray that that joy would exist. Whatever step you want to take today, people, take it with joy and take it with urgency. And Lord, I pray your blessing that your word might grab people's hearts and help them to walk with you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. And everybody said,